BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Kim Fox is a proven progressive reformer, fighting gun crime, enacting bail reform, and expunging records from the failed war on crime are a few of her achievements. It takes more than three years to fix the broken justice system. Look at her record, not the rhetoric, like attack ads that have her saying curse words on podcasts. Re-elect Kim Fox for Cook County State's Attorney, paid for by Friends for Fox. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do? Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. March 6th through the 15th. When? March 6th through the 15th. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the that. The 14th? No. Uh-uh. Pay attention. Take a piece of paper out and a pencil and okay. write it down. March 6th through the 15th. Okay? 15th. And there's 26 films, 48 events, and four counties. What is that again, D? 26. Films. 48. Events. Four. Counties. You can engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater and Oak Park, and much more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. What is that, D? OneEarthFilmFest.org. One more time. OneEarthFilmFest.org. God, are you good. That's correct. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show. Starts now. It is Wednesday, March 11th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio, Senator Robert Peters, well, he's still in the studio as well. And we welcome Halesh Patel from the Field Foundation. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. About a week or so ago, everybody who listens to the show knows this. We got a cease and desist letter, uh, Robert Peters, from uh, somebody who had the rights to the music we had been playing. So ever since then... I don't it, think it was the music. I think it was that we were playing, like, minutes of uh, audio from ABC. Fair enough. Uh, we, <laughs> we jumped to the conclusion. Yeah, because oh, Rom. Oh, don't, yeah. don't get me started on that, Rom. More so, than Rom. Robert Peters, don't get me started. I, you, okay? I think you're starting. George Stephanopoulos... The George Stephanopoulos show on uh, at ABC. Oh, Monroe's going to take issue with me on this one. He thought it would be a good idea 
to have Chris Christie and Rahm Emanuel on it, the, the the enlightened leaders to discuss what the Democratic Party should do. Why any Democrat would listen to either one of those two clowns? Well, Christie's representing Trump, and no, they're, they're, there's the lady who represents Trump. I watched this freaking thing. There was Christie and uh, is quite a, like the moderate Republican. Rahm's the liberal. The uh, then there's a woman I forget her name who's just out there for Trump. She probably has yeah. a MAGA hat on. Right. And then the fourth person is like the lefty. I, which, That's the one yeah. for me, okay? And then, the, all right. My, the, my, the, my Sunday services. I don't go to church. I watch CBS Sunday morning. I watch uh, Meet the Press. I watched George Stephanopoulos. That's my Sunday morning. All right, well, for years that brainwashing yeah, of Chris right, Christie and Ronald yeah. Emanuel, it so, worked. I know the players. They, right. they did panic the Democrats into uh, voting for Joey B. But the point is uh, that made we were playing clips and then making fun of Rom, uh, and so maybe that's why we got the cease and desist letter. But anyway, we we got new music. We asked our uh, listeners if they'd be so kind, send in some original music, and I love that. Piece. Yeah, that was from Mike. Uh, if you're in a band or you make music and you're looking to get some exposure for your music. Be like Mike. And uh, a lot of the people, yeah, that was pretty funny. I thought of that right when I said it. Like, that's a a commercial. No, but seriously, be like those people and send us your music and don't sue us. Yeah, don't sue us. Okay, Uh, let me suggest something to you. Uh, You had Billy Branch on. Yes, sir. Billy Branch's music is the Dick K show's music. Yes, I do. That's yeah. that station that fired and, me. And you could, you could, you could, you could ask <laughs> Billy. I, I, I would be surprised if you asked Billy I, I to do something. Would, yeah. And you'd have original music by. Um, Somebody a who's great established. Musician. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, uh, that was good. Music. We love our music that yeah, has been sent exactly. to us. Uh, all right, Robert Peters. <laughs> I, I'm trying my best to be a good sport about uh, Joe Biden winning because I was for Bernie. Everybody knows that, uh, and I will vote for Bernie next Tuesday. I still get to vote for the guy. Right? Same. Okay. So I was for Bernie, and I get a lot of Joe Biden people come in the studio, and they really give me a hard time, and they look at Monroe smiling, and uh, but I'm trying to be a good sport, and I will support Joey B. I will vote for him. Uh, he's way better than Donald Trump. Okay, I agree with that. But I'm really struggling with this one thing, and I need help from you and counsel and guidance, all right? Counsel and guidance. Yes. I just came from my therapist, so I'm okay. ready. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right. So they all I'll, said— I'll, I'll help the both of you okay. because you're misled. All right, so they all said in the debates, America will never vote for a democratic socialist. We can't afford these pipe dreams that uh, Bernie Sanders has. Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete. Uh, Joe Biden, they all ganged up on him. You know, God, this is radical stuff. It's never going to work. As soon as America gets into any kind of trouble, boom, they're, uh, they're going to cut ta- the payroll tax. They're not limiting it to uh, just working Joes like me and Dennis. They're cutting the payroll tax for everybody. So Mayor Pete, when he was criticizing Bernie on uh, college aid, for well, you shouldn't give rich people college. Where's Mayor Pete to say... You shouldn't give the tax cut to the rich people. Well, well, be- well, that's a dumb idea, though. You know, you, I mean, you shouldn't even use that as an example. Because the problem is um, you have a lot of gig employee um, um, entrepreneurs but- out there, and a lot of people are going to lose their job. So a tax, a, a, a payroll tax cut's not going to do you any good whatsoever Listen, if you don't have a job. That's the idea that's on the table. That's the idea that is on because that's the a table. Republicans need yeah, that's Republican knee jerk. That's Republican knee jerk. But 
I think he's criticizing that. Where's everybody else criticizing that happened? You know. The yeah, and then it's go, go down the list of things. They're going to bail out the airline industry. And the okay? fracking's going to get a good chunk of bailout yeah. money as well. I mean, socialism. It's all socialism. I, I think it's an example that, um, again, our economy was propped up on the government essentially funding uh, certain enterprise while making everybody else have to grind it out and. The problem is that it it may not actually do anything for the long term of the economy. Um, it's really just a short term. It's again because I'm worried about my reelection move. Um, and so when we look at the fact that if if we go back to the last recession, and I always say that the reason why I'm a state senator is really sort of disappointingly owed to the last recession because I couldn't find a job, and that led me down to politics and organizing. Um, but if we look at it. Um, and the foreclosure crisis, it was the destruction of black wealth, uh, like wiped out black wealth. It was, everybody said, get a home, get a home, get a home. And then once the um, loss of a, uh, you know, home ownership was gone, a few people got that bailout. And so what we've seen is actually not really any true recovery for most people. And here we are with another, you know, economic disaster waiting. And the response is, to, uh, that the government is allowed to essentially subsidize uh, the rich and wealthy. And I, my, if people were p- you know, pissed for the last decade, they're gonna increasingly be pissed about what happens with this. And so yes, we have a system in place where if you're you know, rich, you get a socialized government, and if you're everybody else, you gotta, you know, gotta, it's gotta be gritty. And why isn't, uh why isn't everybody opposed to this? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is this such a, a weapon when it's used against Bernie Sanders, but then when it's applied to the rest of us, we just accept it? I struggle with this all the time. We had this discussion last week. Yeah, it's okay. A- okay. Educate me one more time. Exactly. It probably right. didn't work last week. Exactly. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait just one second. Uh-oh. Take notes. Okay. <laughs> I got a pen. Oh. And I got paper. Well, my pen is better than your oh, I see. Okay. I don't want to no. touch it. May have coronavirus on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so go no. ahead. Okay. No, the thing is, Bernie is using 1960s language. If he could, he, he could, he could present the same policies that he's presenting, that young people like him fully embrace because unlike us when we came out there were jobs plenty. times have been tough for them and so socialism is not a scary thing for them at all but you don't have to call it so I mean Bernie doesn't have to call it socialism he could just talk about what it delivers why it's needed etc and you know Trump um Trump, Trump is, is a, a whatever works for him. Socialism, I mean, he doesn't have a, a, a real political philosophy. It's, it's Trumpism, that's what he's into. And so he, he, he's gonna, um, from now on, he's gonna start veering to the, to the left to, for re, uh, re-election. Because he, he doesn't have any principles whatsoever, so um, if you need this stuff, no, he, he will repeat Bernie's program. Well, I, I will say this. I'll, 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 Go ahead. What's interesting about this is that there is a risk um, that Trump will run uh, to Biden's left on criminal justice reform. 
uh, and he'll just do that for the sake of doing it. He'll run to his left on trade. Um, and those yeah. are two very dangerous risks for the Democratic Party. I, I will say um, it's interesting that we always sort of hear this critique about Bernie and he's speaking like it's the 60s, and yet it's a bunch of people who were born from the 80s on after who are like, yes, let's do it. And it's it's a uh, generation of folks who got freaked out because Ronald Reagan won. I always say my dad, my dad was a really good example of this. When every time I told him, I, you know, I, I had this belief or something, he all of a sudden he had like some weird Ronald Reagan flashback, and he like, Reagan oh. was scary. I mean, I mean I, Reagan, although Trump makes him look like a, a decent human being now. But. I mean, but I think like Reagan's so scary that the fact that I my birth is tied to the war on drugs and my mom being addicted to drugs and alcohol and I had to be forced into adoption was because of Ronald Reagan and the war on drugs and you know sort of the path towards austerity. But what I would say is it we are now in a point where there's a real crisis in the party that there is a generational divide and it is very important that if if we're heading, you know, I would like Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, but if we're heading towards Biden being the nominee, that all of these people supporting Biden need to understand for both short term and long term that they need to bring an entire generation of people into the, the party. Like they have to do that and they have to concede. So when Joe Biden goes on TV and he gets asked, even though it might seem like a wild hypothetical question, if Medicare for all got through the Senate and Medicare for all got through the House, you know, would you support it? And he hints at a veto. That is the. Did he do that? Yes. That is the yeah. dumbest thing I can think that you would say, because you if the that now you're not saying you're not making the argument that it's not it's politically impossible. Now you're just making the argument that you don't believe in it. Yeah. And yet in every exit poll coming in from every state, even if he's winning, says, do people support a government health care system and want to get rid of a private health care system? They say yes. So this is it's clearly like not being in touch with what the electorate want. What essentially the case that Biden is making is not that he is a candidate of ideas. He's the candidate who can beat Trump. And I think the argument that needs to be made is if he doesn't have ideas and he risks having Donald Trump outdo him on trade and make him have to defend his history on criminal justice issues, it is it is a very nerve-wracking risk that we we just, I think it's the idea of like, we'll go with this person who has flaws that we know compared to what we really don't know what it's like to have a Bernie Sanders as a general election nominee. We really don't. And that's why I... That's why I said Joe Biden doesn't have ideas. He has a strategy. He has a political strategy, which is sort of replicate uh, what Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Well, he, didn't know. he doesn't even have, have a strategy. What you have to, okay, this is, let's look back. Let's, let's go back, let's say, oh, two weeks. Two weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, we were writing him off. He won in states where he hadn't campaigned, he didn't have any money. He hadn't run ads. He hadn't done anything. He just won because the party, the voters in the party, the Democratic Party, decided that he was the one for him. No, I think he won because he owes Jim Clyburn his political Oh, yeah, life. right, exactly. He oh, yeah, I know, I know Clyburn did it. Yes, yeah, Clyburn, yeah. he owes him his, like, literally, if you're Jim Clyburn, you can, you should call, be able to call up Joe Biden any minute and be like, 
South Carolina needs this because if if that would have been taken off the table, if you look at the polling. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it, no, no. Clyburn, yes. Clyburn lit the fire. Yeah, yeah. Wait, sure. wait, you know what? Uh, Monroe talked about this at length a couple weeks ago, but uh, if people missed it, uh, Robert, why don't you just explain what you what you mean by that? Yeah. So you know, after Nevada, um, you know, Bernie's running, riding high. Um, I think there was a, you know, maybe a little bit of well, there was some overconfidence on what that meant. Um, and I think a day or two after Nevada, Jim Clyburn comes out and says, um, I support Joe Biden uh, and goes all in on being supportive for Joe. And if you look at every exit poll, and he's the congressman down in South Carolina, he, he, every exit poll, I think 49% of voters said that played a role in their decision making. And it is, it just, um, like I, it, I mean, that's a that. What a powerful that was a blow. surrogate yeah, to have, right. advocate to have. Oh yeah, no. no what I'm saying oh. is that after Clyburn did that, then the die was cast. Everybody decided he was the guy, you know. And so Sunday, I look forward to this debate, uh, but unless Biden puts both feet in his mouth. And, and and Bernie is more brilliant. It's not going no, to matter. No, it doesn't matter. It won't matter because everybody just wants to get this over yeah. with. They, the, they want to go after Trump. Okay, but let me, let's just let leave the realm of ideas out of this. Uh, so I talked about some of the, the notions being put out in advance to deal with this coronavirus, and one of them is a tax break, which will go to absolutely everybody, so it's not going to be income-based. So, so much for Mayor Pete and his criticism uh, about needing to do income-based uh, programs. The other one is paid leave. Bernie's been talking about paid leave forever. And I'll go back one step further. Bernie's ideas, I say this all the time, because I say this because I'm old enough to remember, were Jesse Jackson's ideas and when he ran in 1988. Bernie's platform and Jesse Jack Jackson's platform are almost identical. And this really irritates me to no end when I hear people tell me that black voters are somehow or other more conservative than white voters. Black voters voted overwhelmingly for Jesse Lewis Jackson back in 1988, and he was running on Medicare for all. He was running on a single payer plan. So these ideas, these are real legitimate See, democratic uh, ideas yeah, right. that get thrown out the okay, window okay, let, because let, Democrats have this notion of electability. Ben, 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 let me go back to my 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 word game. It's 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 not the 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 process the ideas the the ideas it's how you use the labels that's that's what black people are having trouble with is they've been told that communism and et cetera socialism is bad so they're not comfortable with it. a lot of americans aren't comfortable with it you present the the actual ideas the actual well this is what it will do it's it's not hard to go with at all but it's because the Republic, one of the reasons Hillary lost, and, and there's a movie, a, a documentary that's out on Hulu now, mm -hmm. where they talked about, and I've said this a long time, is the right wing spent 25 years and a billion dollars mm -hmm. vilifying, demon, de de demonizing the Clintons. And so that's built in to that. And, and the right wing has spent that amount of time I, um, branding various concepts to their liking. And um, 
So you, you have to you, you have to do it, but just call it something else. I, I, I also think it's just it, there's a, a messaging component. Like we can get to that broader thing, but I think um, there's a reality of a conversation needs to be had um, in terms of how the left or the progressive left or even with the left of center. Um, for instance, you know, Elizabeth Warren is not, you know, she's very progressive, but not as left as Bernie still struggled uh, even though she spoke in this sort of woke language, and there's a, it that doesn't actually communicate to most people. I think the main thing is that if people feel like something's not possible, is that you have to have people who can communicate and say, it, how can you tell a black person what is and isn't possible? The fact that we've survived this long to be here, it is important that you have a campaign that can do that to break through on a conversation about opening up new possibilities because, and I think what's interesting is that Bernie's campaign, similarly, a Jewish person running for president is in itself historic that we don't, he really didn't talk about until pretty recent. And to me, I got very offended to be, you know, we're in a time period where it's more possible for a Nazi to go to a leading presidential candidate's rally and display or have the a white nationalist. And, you know, it's a choice between a white nationalist and, and a, a, a democratic socialist, and you go with the white nationalist. I mean, and that's it, what Trump is. I mean, that's what Trump is, but yeah. I think it's just the fact that we, we're in a political time where the right has gotten to the point where they feel comfortable going to a rally to put yeah. out a Nazi flag and do all ta- you know fascist stuff to a Jewish candidate running for president. And there's just a story that needs to be told, and I think that story may not be Bernie himself's the strong suit, but the what is being built long-term is something that we have to do. And I think it's very important that we communicate that story and tie it to the material, material, the real concrete organizing needs of people. And I think it's there. I, I don't know even, I don't know whether it's the terms that are necessarily scary, but how we describe the terms themselves. So actually if anything now I realize I'm in both agreement with Monroe with an addendum. <laughs> right, right, exactly, right. No, 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 okay, okay let's go he to the- has that effect on yeah. people. Okay. Let's go to the messaging. Frank Lutz, he- The Republican he, strategist. Yeah, Republican strategist and, and wordsmith. He changed gambling to gaming. And so it was okay to do it. Same thing, but now you go to Vegas to, to game, not to gamble. He changed um, the estate tax into the death tax. I know Frank and, Lutz is. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? We don't right. talk about okay. right, a really, I mean, Lee Atwater, Frank Lutz, Carl yeah, Rove, right. and the work that they did back in the 80s up right. until this point. And, you know, and then what they did is they also looked at power from a very different perspective. So instead of just who has to be the elected in power, they looked at power at every level that we don't even talk about, the shadow parts of government. So, you know, I, I, I look at the, I, you know, I was watching, I, first of all, I, I kind of nerd into this, but the movie Vice did kind of got ignored, but it really sort of described power and, uh, well, it described how power operates in the world and how it can operate in a very horrible way, simply in a scene in which Dick Cheney gets himself to be vice president. So he yes. doesn't actually have to be president and he gets to choose all these people in government. And so he's picking out people nobody really knows. So I always like to bring up, none of us know who Paul Wolfowitz is, and he led us to the Iraq war. Vitally important character or person in in our history. Nobody knows who he is because Dick Cheney puts, you know, Paul Wolfowitz in power and he sells us on a war and plays an important role in doing that. And I think that 
one thing that in in particular uh, to be um, a progressive or progressive left is to have a clear is to look at how it me- what it means to have governing power and how governing power isn't simply just the person who necessarily won the top of the ticket, but the person who helps write the legislation, the person who puts that vision in terms of legislation, that person who puts people on staff, the person you know, if you you really have power if you if you got the chief of staff, the policy director, the budget director, the people in charge of some of the bill writing and legal that is having is winning serious governing power and that is a very important next step to a movement that ne- that needs to move beyond a movement and into governing yeah. well so, i and and, yeah. and, you, and your generation can do that i now, hope so you're, you're in a position to do it yeah because the problem is after when i was in college back in the 60s what <laughs> yes it's crazy yeah right i know conservative was a dirty word on the college campus mm-hmm. and what they did was they sat around your the people much younger than you at that time and started scheming on how they were going to take over and um we're suffering from that right we are now. and and you know what uh the democratic party is suffering and and uh, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've watched a couple of these in the age of coronavirus. We don't really want to. So the elbow bump. Uh, this, is, this is the generational thing yeah. going on right here. Yeah. Right. There's some agreement here. There is right. some agreement. Right, right, right. Uh, so I wasn't burned by Reagan, though, personally, like yeah, Monroe was. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, you, but you got Trump, who's worse. No, Monroe originally was burned by Nixon. If you yeah, want right, to go way exactly, back. Right, exactly. um, but uh, my, my problem with the this Democrats is, uh, is that... It's not just that, okay, you talk about the message and messaging it, and sometimes people come to the show and they use the word optics, and they, there's all these little euphemisms for how the Democrats have to reshape the message. But I look at what ha- went down on these debates. I watched every single one, Robert Peters. I dutifully watched him. We talked about him on the show and Monroe. Every single time, Bernie advanced uh, a proposal, a program that most Democratic voters believe in and would want the others would attack him and they would say everything from it's not realistic joe biden talking about you can't pay for it how are you going to pay for medicare for all how many times did he say that meanwhile in today's newspaper just the earliest estimate 700 billion dollars robert peters for all these initiatives that donald trump is talking about including just a flat out across the board tax break another one he already gave people let's just talk about are we are we actually out of iraq and afghanistan yet or is that something that just continues in, in perpetuity is that the idea because we just and fund did, it over and, and over and, again and, I mean, and I did just... north korea quit developing the nuclear bomb <laughs> yes we're going to north yeah, korea. yeah. <laughs> but you're right absolutely right so uh so going back to what the day at some point you have to believe in something and be concrete about it and or else nobody will be, believe you. And so Joe Biden is now going to try to make appeals to Bernie Sanders voters. So, Robert, what do you think? What do you as a Bernie Sanders supporter? I know you're going to vote for Joe Biden regardless. Mm-hmm. But what would you like he's to a brilliant young man? <laughs> thank you. I'm so bad at compliments. I'm like, yes, thank you, too. You're, a, you're you also. Yes. You're a brilliant, mature man. Uh, so I'm 35 you, going on 15. It's a special skill set. Yeah, well, tell you, in this room, well, well, you're young. Exactly. Well, you no, my, my, you're a, a year older than my younger son. 
Yeah. To put it in perspective. In perspective. And, two, and, two, and two years younger than my older son. This is a common theme when Monroe's on the show on Wednesday. Right. Uh, all right, so what do you need to hear from Joe Biden? I think that the first part is Bernie's still in the race. Um, he's still running. We have a debate. I think that debate allows an opportunity for a one-on-one, which we haven't had at all during the presidential cycle, uh, during the election cycle. Um, and I think that's an important place to sort of um, start putting this out as a contrast. I think that if you're Biden, like it's clear Medicare for all is support. Like it, it's not like it's politically risky for the base right now when it comes to Medicare for all. I, I don't think so. Um, I think that people aren't thinking about this from necessarily whether a policy is possible or not. They just want to know if you're going to be able to defeat, uh, defeat Trump. Right. But I, I, I still say... Like, I don't necessarily want to go there. I think that we have a debate. Uh, you know, I think that Joe Biden uh, tends to react. He's in a very, you know, it's just weird dynamic. And I chalk it up to a lot of anti-Semitism in the fact that Bernie Sanders is loud, yelly, and pushy, and that Joe Biden somehow isn't. Or if he is, he's, he's being a tough guy. But when you actually think about Bernie Sanders as a candidate, he is actually not pushy. Uh, he doesn't do gotcha moments. He rarely criticizes people in on stage or anything. He kind of stays on the issues. He actually is not. I think people conflate uh, Bernie with a lot of people in the base, and that's not necessarily the same thing. Bernie's instinct is not that. Biden's instinct is to get pushy. I mean, he got challenged by some some dude yesterday <laughs> yes he did and he threatened him to a fight yeah. and he would take him you know like 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 let's take this outside and you're you're watching this and you're going like you I, I, if i did that in in my district people were like you can't like that's immature robert no, that's yeah, an immature yeah. move no, you young man you're and, from high park bernie's from scranton <laughs> that makes the difference no but yeah. I think no, no 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 okay no get me started talking seriously. about kim fox again yeah right when she says bs everybody jumps down her throat right because well, a black woman's not allowed to say bs no 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 conway jumped down her right, throat right. <laughs> yeah you can't go go by that well we'll see how the vote where and the voters with, show and, up and with with, this. with 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 bernie my my problem problem with Bernie is when I see him, he, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have much of a sense of humor. He has more than Trump, but he doesn't. He seems serious all the time, and he reminds me of the old man that's saying, "Get off my lawn." I mean, he's he's pointing fingers and he's doing this. It's like he just seems grouchy. I mean, and that's that has nothing to do with his um, religion. Or anything else is just a persona. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to push back on this. Okay. Bernie Sanders seems more than Joe Biden, like the guy who says, get off your lawn. Joe Biden, the guy who feels like, looks like a guy who drinks like some, you know, Milwaukee's best, yeah. uh, sits there, you know, maybe listening to the ball game, you know, by accidentally slips and doesn't know how to describe something. Uh, he's like, he's like, I don't know what, how do black people talk about themselves now is is less the get off our lawn guy than, than Bernie Sanders? Because I would say Bernie Sanders. I didn't say of, Bernie was the get off. You. I'm saying I'm talking imagey. No, I'm talking I, imagey. Is, yeah. I literally think, yeah. a get off my think, lawn guy. Yeah. In all honesty, I think like Bernie's the type of person who would be the really sort of mean person, the guy who's like, I'm going to show you a lesson about what you do when you do this. He seems like someone who's like, 
if you got on the lawn, he'll be like, why are you doing this? Explain why you're doing this and not be like, get off my lawn. Joe Biden seems like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you a thing or two about, you know, you coming on my property. I, I, I'm in, in politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, a lot of it is just um, perception. And I'm talking perception. Not oh, I, the got, I got perception and not. Yeah, the, yes. Yeah. And I think the perception is that Joe Biden is likes to lean into being the tough guy. And again, the risk for Joe Biden is not just the ideas. Donald Trump is a narcissistic troll and he's going to say things to Joe Biden. And is Joe Biden going to hold back? I don't want a debate where Joe Biden threatens to take Donald Trump out back and say, tell him he's going to do 15 push-ups in like 10 uh, seconds and show him how strong he is. But he probably is. will it, do it's that. That's Which probably is that's where it's going. And you know what? Right. I don't think Joe Biden wins that argument, that fight, because it, at the end of the day, I always think of Donald Trump as, I went to Mount Carmel, went to a Catholic high school. Yeah. Um, so there were the folks who were more of your jock sports guys. Yeah. There were the folks who hung out with the jock sports guys, but you didn't know if they knew how to play sports, but they were real assholes. And then there were folks like me who liked sports, but was definitely pretty nerdy. Um, and the one That's where I was, too. Uh, so. Yeah. Right. And, and the lesson I learned is the person who was not actually good at sports, but had the jock behavior... There was no way you could, A, out-muscle them. There was no way you could really out-joke them, right? You just kind of had to laugh and brush it off. And if you want to see people get pissed off, yeah. it's when you do that because then they're like, what, you know, I'm going to keep going at it. The best way to deal with Donald Trump is that if he's trolling you and he's coming at you is to kind of just ignore it and move on and stay on message because he's going to get more and more upset because it's that's his main effective tactic. But if you fall for it, you are essentially playing into his hands because he knows that that will just trigger a response over and over again. So treat Donald Trump like the kid who's not really good at throwing the football, but definitely likes to stand next to the kid who's throwing the football. All right, we're going right. to let that be the last word. Right. Uh, we have uh, Halesh Patel on deck from the Field Foundation. Hey, Robert, uh, uh, give us some information yes. about your campaign, where people can find you, your opponent. What's yeah. the deal? So, uh, yes, I'm running for my, my first ever election here, and I, I need as much help as possible. Um, and I think people should go to petersforsenate.com sign up to volunteer uh we, we need as much support as possible i think the vision that you've heard here to you know today is that i don't see this campaign as necessarily about me just becoming a state senator but see this as a long-term organizing project for winning real safety and justice on the south side of chicago and i think it's important that we get that done i talk to people all the time and they say you know i ask them do you feel safer now than you did five ten years ago and almost everyone says no and so sort of the vision is that if you don't have a social worker in your school, you don't have a nurse in your school, you don't have a grocery store, you don't have a good living wage job, you don't have public transportation, you can't drink the water, then that is not safety and justice. And that is something that we need to bring to everyone in the city. So I could use as much support as possible, whether it's you know giving a little bit of money or giving a little bit of time, but we're trying to build something special in the 13th district. What about a website? Uh, Petersforsenate.com. Petersforsenate.com. Tw uh, handle, Twitter handle? At Robert J. Peters. Thank you for being on this. This is really good. <laughs> Dr. I'm D. doing a really bad job as a millennial here. You can go to at Robert J. Peters for Twitter. Uh, and my Instagram, I think, is at Robert James Peters. 
And I tell you what, if uh, holding your own in a conversation with two really old guys uh, <laughs> is something that anybody's looking for in a candidate, you're the guy. Yeah, I'm holding well. You Wednesday, did well. He did well. Wednesdays on the Ben Jarowski Show, me and Monroe. Every Wednesday, man. Right. We bring these young people in. Right, right. Let me tell exactly. you something, Sonny. Right. Exactly, right. Exactly, right. Uh, all right, very good. Thank you so much, Robert Peters, Monroe Anderson, every Wednesday here. And uh, he's really happy. He's going to go out uh, drinking in celebration celebrating because his boy Joey B had a big night last night. Just kidding. I know you're in the middle. Uh, anyway. No, I'm not. I'm, not I've, I've been, I'm, I'm a Biden person now, but I don't dislike Bernie. Fair enough. Let's yeah, leave it if, there. If, 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 if Bernie won and, and and beat Trump, that's that, that's the trick for me. If he became president, I would love it. All right. We'll but leave it I'm there. I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll leave right. it there. I'm sure he'll say the same exact thing next oh, week. Oh, wait. Right. Joe Biden has weighed in with his thoughts on all this. Yeah. Play the radio. Make sure the television, <laughs> the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, oh, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Make sure. make sure that kids hear words. Remember that, Robert Peters? Hey, man, I'm going to turn on my record player. It's going to be crazy. We're going to get some funky on tonight, y'all. All right, All right Robert Peters, hello. Halesh Patel on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. By the way, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see it? And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? We got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give him the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K Records. Dot com. Hey everybody, it's primary season, and if you're confused about who to vote for, all these weird local elections, water wreck, what is that? I know, right? Well, I suggest that you listen to the Backroom Deal, Chicago Reader's Backroom Deal, with Chicago Reader's very own Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke-Masova. Ten episodes, and uh, each of those episodes gets you informed on these elections coming up, all right? Like I said, Water Reclamation District, Senate Seats, Board of Review, all those ones that may be a little confusing. Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke-Masova coach you up a little bit and uh, try to get you informed uh, when you go into the election polls. You can find it at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. It's the Backroom Deal primaries edition at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Halesh Patel in the studio with us. We're taking a transition, making a transition from What's that, that sound like? <laughs> That's 
transition. <laughs> uh, Halesh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, Field Foundation. Uh, Dee, before we uh, turn over the conversation, do you have any updates or anything you want to uh, say? I just want to say, uh, live stream chat room, you guys are awesome. We're having a great conversation today uh, on all things coronavirus, measles, all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you want to get informed, uh, learn some stuff, head over to that Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. If you're listening on the download, go on YouTube, look and, uh, you know, go check it out. And we encourage that you join us, you know, sometime. We're Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Sun Times YouTube channel. And hey, we got about uh, we got a few viewers right now. Uh, if you're listening to this, watching this, go over and click like. Turns out that helps us out. Not sure how, but it helps us out. Click like, uh, go over there, weigh in, give a thumbs up, and subscribe uh, to the Ben Jarofsky Show, Chicago Sun Times YouTube channel. All right, Halesh. Now I know you want to talk uh, ultimately about New Chicago. Excuse me, want to talk about New Chicago leadership. But before we get to that, uh, tell folks a little bit about the Field Foundation. So the Field Foundation is a philanthropic organization based out of Chicago, and even though it has the Field family name, it's not a family foundation, and it's been around for a really long time. Actually, there were two Field Foundations: one in New York, one in Chicago. The one in New York sunsetted. The one in Chicago kept going, did a lot of work, um, funded a lot of major organizations in Chicago. And three years ago, completely shifted focus. We had a new president come on, Angelique Power, and she moved away from funding direct service and moved towards thinking more about policy, advocacy, upstream work. How, how do we fund the people who are doing the work so that they can make the change? And then we centered our focus on racial equity and focused on what we call heat maps, looking at where the need is the most, and that turned out to be the south and west sides of Chicago. And... I would say started off with justice and art as our main uh, program areas and shifted over in 20, probably 2019 to add leadership and media and storytelling or journalism. All right, let's, uh, let's just help people out a little bit. They may not understand these uh, phrases that you're using. Uh, direct service versus advocacy. I mean, these are obvious phrases in, in, in the foundation world. What is it, what's the difference between direct service and advocacy? I have no idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, there goes that interview. Yeah. Hey, how about those bulls? Let's talk about coronavirus. All right. Um, no, so I think the big thing, so direct service is direct one-on-one -on -one service. Social, social work where you're, you're having point of contact with individuals. And when you, so you have a good portion of the city, a grassroots organizations, really strong people doing this core work, and it's good work. There are also people who are thinking about how do you shift policy? How do you create systems or how do you oppose things that are happening hypothetically in the mayor's office or hypothetically in the county? Um, through policy-based initiatives. Um, anything from cannabis legalization to immigration rights to Chicago Community Bond Fund and you know criminal justice reform. And what does that look like on that level? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things when I moved to Chicago, uh, the foundations were very much involved across the board. A lot of them anyway, were very much uh, the philanthropic foundations were very much involved uh, in giving money to organizations that would stand up to the mayor's office that might have uh, protests. So the foundation itself would not literally be at the front of the march, but they would make the contribution to the organization uh, that would enable them to hire an organizer who could re get people to go do the march. So in that way, they had a very important role uh, in uh, helping what the, uh, the opposition movement in Chicago, always trying to force the powers that be to care about poor neighborhoods. Uh, during the Daly years, this is before your time, Mayor Daly, it seemed as though his power was so strong 
that he got civic Chicago and philanthropic Chicago to more fall in line. This is my humble opinion. I'm speaking my opinions. Uh, do you agree with my analysis of how foundations sort of evolved? And if so, where do you think we are now? Well, let me go backwards. I think we're in a much better place now. And I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think it's actually more, um, I really have to be careful here. Uh, I think it's more dramatic than even what you were saying. I think that philanthropic organizations, for there's, there's an aspect of giving money that is essentially power-based. And it's not, even, not, not only essentially power-based, it's very colonial. So you're defining language. You're telling people, show me the poor black and brown kids on the south or west sides of Chicago, and I will give you money to do that. So not only are they dictating what gets funding, they are creating language that people have to use that's reinforcing some of the stereotypes that are kind of causing the problems in those neighborhoods. And so for a long time, I think philanthropy, whether it was daily or I'm not going to say anything, I believe that to you, Ben, <laughs> um, is yeah. that that really affected. And there was such a connection between organizations. And it's, it's really terrible to have organizations fighting for air and asking for philanthropic dollars and asking for support. And I do think that in our current philanthropic state, there's a shift towards what is that, what is it really looking at yourselves or looking in the mirror um, in terms of organizations and trying to shift the focus towards supporting organizations in the way that they ask for and they need rather than the way that you think. You know, there's this really wonderful article. It's, a, it's an academic article by Megan Ming Francis that talks about how uh, when the NAACP started, you know, before Brown versus Edu before Brown versus Board of Education, their main focus was anti-lynching and was against violence against black and brown bodies. That was their main focus. And there was a massive philanthropic organization that came along and said, we will give you X amount of dollars, an insane amount of money, if you shift your focus to education, which they did. And so completely mission shifted them. And I think what that brings up is how much power so I'm kind of going against what I said earlier. How much power does a philanthropic organization have to mission shift organizations that are doing the work? And is that right? I don't think it is right. I think it's really about listening to organizations, about telling us this is what we need. This is what actually will change things in neighborhoods. I think you have a... Anyway, I'm going to stop there. No, but you're on a roll. Uh, listening to organizations tell us what we need. What are organizations saying when, when they have those conversations you don't have to get specific and reveal you know confidences but what are they take what are, what are they saying to you well i think they're saying two different things i think they're talking about content and practice they're like look here are the actual things that we need on a daily basis but here's the second thing we need there are ways of doing things in certain neighborhoods that we're really effective at that are that you have a city structure that benefits a certain percentage of the population and that city structure or certain policies, they don't have effects on us or they are in sometimes work directly against us. We are doing work outside of the system. So how can you support these different ways of doing, how can you support community organizing? How can you support um, entrepreneurial business models? How can you support things that specifically help neighborhoods and m might be outside the traditional way of doing things or the city way of doing things? So I think in some ways that, how do you support that practice? Organizations that are doing really well, like um, Rage in Englewood or um, Urban Growers Collective or, you know, Chicago Community Bond Fund. Any of these organizations that are like, 
we're using organizing as a tactic and we're using organizing as a practice to shift. And not only are we doing externally, we're doing it internally too. And we're addressing that. And I think in terms of issues, there are tons of issues that everyone's facing. So, you know, when you talk about something like cannabis legalization, it's not just about legalizing pot. It's about the criminalization of certain individuals and their connection to how the police functions and their connection to systems and policies that directly um, affect people who are busted for using, selling, et cetera, et cetera. So after you legalize marijuana, are you going to expunge the records? Um, are you going to change police policies? So there are people who are like, yes, I'm totally in support of this, but can we look at every single aspect of a situation? Which really, you know, I'm not trying to like bring it back home, but really ties to how we're looking at leadership in the city as well. Well, let's talk about that. New Chicago leadership, go ahead. Well, so I'm, I'm not going to over-talk the program. I'm, I will just say real quickly so that I oversee the leadership portfolio. And one of the things in the leadership portfolio is a new program that was a collaboration with MacArthur Foundation. It germinated in 2018 and really became solid in the fall of 2018. And in February 2019, we launched the first nomination. Uh, we opened the portal and we asked people who had been grantees of MacArthur Field to start thinking about leadership and nominate leaders, either, either nominate colleagues or self-nominate in justice, people are doing justice work, people are doing artwork, people who are doing media and storytelling, um, you know, connected to journalism, and identify leaders. And then that swath came in, and we gave our first awards last year. We gave awards to 14 leaders. And it's a good group. It's a fantastic group. I will, you know, go to bat for any single one of them. But what it did is it changed for me, for the organization, and I think for a good portion of the people who are paying attention, this idea of what does leadership mean? And Throughout this past year, what we've learned is everyone's talking about distributed leadership. Everyone's talking about not what does it look like when you're not thinking about individual leadership, but what does it look like when you have multiple people leading an organization, shared leadership models? What, is, what does it look like when you're looking at community organizers as leaders and how they work internally and externally? I keep saying internally and externally because you have a slew of nonprofits that exist in the city of Chicago that have really outwardly appearing progressive uh, values or models. Are they doing those progressive values or models internally as well? Do they treat their workers that way? Mm -hmm. Do they have systems that um, coincide or match or mirror the work that they're externally putting out there? And leadership has become this contested thing. And all these people that we gave awards to are talking about, you know, when I asked them, what do you need? When I got them all together and I said, you know, here's your award, here's the money. It's, you know, we gave two awards, $25,000 unrestricted to the individual and $25,000 matching general operating to their organization. I said, let's sit down. Here's your award. What do you need right now? And across the board, all of them said, which was a shock to me. Um, so how do you do leadership? A, um, how do you support people? B, and then um, how, how do I take people after they've come into an organization and show them the next steps, which is all fascinating to me because they were just recognized as leaders yeah. and given this cash award. How do you do leadership? Well, I don't know. Um, I think what these people are showing us, uh, the 14 leaders, and they go across all these program areas, is 
they are all asking questions and they don't all have the answers and they're all thinking about how to support other people and build the capacity of other people. And that's across the board. So you take um, Analia, who is with um, the Latino Union, or you take uh, Luis Gutierrez with uh, Latinos Progresando, and the core of their work is building the capacity of people coming in through the door. And so it's not focused. They are figureheads. They're like, we are doing all the work, but they want to build the capacity of people coming through the door so that they can be assumed leadership roles. Um, you take someone like Sarah Ross from the Prison and Neighborhood Arts Project, and she, you know, very carefully in her nomination said, I, obviously, I'm applying for this. I'm nominating myself. But what really I'm doing is bringing attention to the organization because the way we look at leadership is across everyone. So if you're going to nominate, if you're going to recognize me, you're going to recognize everyone. Or Daryl Holiday at City Bureau, you know, great journalism incubator on the South Side. That's a co-leader. That's four people leading an organization. I had to have a serious conversation with them before I, before we gave the award, if this would disrupt that leadership model. And that's a fascinating conversation. You know, I, the a lot of the narratives that I'm getting from this year's nominations, we just closed the portal, are people talking about shared leadership and what does it mean to have that multiple, and it's not just like instead of one leader, there's two leaders. It's a, a core change in the practice of how you're approaching engaging with the community or engaging with an issue. Well, one thing that I note, uh, just the notion that you, you identify someone who is a community organ, let's say, uh, and give them an award and shine a light on them, that's, that runs counter to sort of the prevailing notion from many community organizers back down through the years, which is, I'm not supposed to have any attention on me. I, and I, I know this, uh, Halesh, because I'd get calls from community organizers for reader stories going back to the 80s, and they'd say, all right, this is off the record. And then they would lay out, and there's these really smart community organizers Right, and they could just t tell a story from A to Z because that's what they do. And essentially, you know, that they're storytellers. That's a great point. And then it'd be like, but don't quote me on any of that. And I got to get you, Billy Bob, who's our leader. And they 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 were looking for leaders, and so they get me Billy Bob. Sometimes Billy Bob could talk. Sometimes Billy Bob couldn't talk. I'm like, can I quote? The community? No, no, no. You got to stick with Billy Bob. And I always thought that was weird because. <laughs> they were pretending as though they were invisible when it ver very much part of the process, shaping the process, bugging me about to do the story, following up after the story to tell me all the things I got wrong or whatever. And you know what I mean? And then throwing some leader who may or may not have even wanted to talk to me in the first place, forcing <laughs> Forcing them to talk to me it was it was kind of a bizarre game that was being played, as I thought. What's your response to all that? Well, I think I have two responses. One, it makes me think of one of my heroes, Ella Baker, and how if we were to give this award to Ella Baker, she would probably throw it back in our faces and say, well, no, you know, why are you recognizing me? Because that was the course. She said, strong people don't need strong leaders. And she was the one who, you know, through SNCC, through all these other organizations, built the capacity of the youth and said, it's your job. It's my job to step back, you know, and but at the same time, she was very critical of the leadership of Martin Luther King. And she got pushed out because they needed a male leader. And she did a lot of that organizing. So it makes me think of that tension as you're talking about who's the figurehead. 
That's the first thing it makes me think of. The second thing is, and this conversation comes up all the time, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts about this, the higher up you move in leadership, the more you have to sacrifice. And that's, people talk about that across the board. And this is not a new conversation. People have been talking about this since, um, you know, Obama. I, I joke with everyone that, um, I don't know if you're a Shakespeare fan, but, you know, there's a Henry IV part two is, so I'm sorry, I don't mean to get too esoteric No, here. go for it. <laughs> no, but Henry IV part two is one of those Shakespearean plays where you have, it's before Henry V. Mm-hmm. And in Henry, Henry the Fourth, Part Two, it's Prince Hal, and in order to become Henry the Fifth, Prince Hal has to reject his mentor. He has to reject the person who he's been, you know, debauching with and who he's been having fun with. He has to reject him in order to become this person. So, who do you have to sacrifice, or what do you have to sacrifice? It's almost transactional. What do you have to give in order to get to the next mm-hmm. level? And people, people in Chicago have an opinion about this. Um, I lived in Hyde Park for a while, and, you know, you could go to many different places where people would be hotly debating, you know, what did Kim Fox have to give up in order to get to the next point? Not, I don't think she had to, but, or Tammy Duckworth or Barack Obama, you know, did they, did he really have to reject, you know, a certain individual in order to become the icon of Barack Obama? So those are the conversations that people are having, that people are having right now. What is the transactional nature? What do you have to give up? And then also it can be incredibly lonely the higher up you get. And what does peer support look like? Well, when you said Barack Obama, you really brought home the issue that you were talking about. Uh, This is one of our favorite topics on the show, all the things that Barack Obama gave up. It wasn't just when he went from being a a U.S. senator to uh, being running for president. I think the more dramatic leap actually occurred before that when he went from being state senator from Hyde Park, we just had Robert Peters in here who inherited the, the, the position. Uh, but, you know, for instance, when he ran for state Senate back in the 90s, he was for gay marriage. I mean, <laughs> you're running in Hyde Park. Uh, then all of a sudden he's running for U.S. senator. Suddenly he's evolving into, well, you know, I have re- religious issues. What, those religious issues just magically showed up when you were running uh, for Senate on a statewide basis outside of a, a liberal enclave. Uh, it's easy, Halesh, uh, to be s- cynical and jaded when, when you see these kinds of things happening. And then, of course, by the time he was through with his presidency, guess what? He went back to being in favor of gay marriage. He evolved again. So he went through like three evolutions or two evolutions of losing count. Um, well, it, can, I ask you, can I ask you the question? Go. Um, how, it, when you talked about being jaded and cynical, yes. what is your opinion about people who move up to a certain level where they have the widest angle of lenses, where they have a responsibility to a large population? And um, what's the tension between the responsibility to their whole constituency and the responsibility to their ideals? I think they, that's a great question. Uh, and I think that, and we were struggling with this when we were talking just in the show, in the interview before you got on here with Robert Peters and Monroe Anderson. Uh, and I see it happening right now with the democratic party. So the, the, the Democrats on stage all beat up on Bernie Sanders because he dared to say, we need Medicare for all. We clearly need Medicare for, this is me speaking, you may disagree with me, Halesh, I'm not putting my views on you, but I'm looking at a coronavirus outbreak. 
I'm looking at suddenly the, the country trying to figure out what to do when people can't go to work because they're too sick, when people can't pay, they need services and treatments because they don't want to spread the disease to everybody, but they don't have insurance to play, pay for it. It's a freaking poster of why we need Medicare for all and why we need paid leave. But the Democrats are too timid to say that. So I believe you lose something when you're afraid. So when Barack Obama ran away from his what he felt in his heart, which I assume he felt in his heart in 1995, I mean, I don't think he was lying when he said he was for gay marriage. When he ran away from that and claimed he was having some kind of uh, evolution, and then he went back to it when he was safely, he was not going to run for office anymore, I think we lost something. And so it's like you talk about leadership. Leadership is... Doing something really difficult and challenging is going to a group of people and saying, you may not agree with me on this, but I want you to listen to it and think about it and vote for me anyway. And you're going, and I know what you're thinking. Oh, Ben, easy for you to say. You never ran for anything. You're just talking on a microphone. No, 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 no. It's why people get cynical and jaded because you hear one thing, you see him do something else. Do you follow me? They... I do, but what if I were to say to you, um, as a Bernie supporter, and I'm not positioning myself in any, I'm just asking you, because you're a vocal Bernie supporter. Yes. If I were to say to you that there's no way that Medicare for All could pass in a four-year administration, would you still fight because the fight was worth fighting? Of course. Because, and, first of all, um, I don't believe, I don't even believe that that's true. Uh, I'm not saying that's true. Yeah, I understand. So that's the first step. So I watched every debate. I watched all these candidates on stage say it won't happen. Well, it won't happen because you don't have the guts to fight for it. So that goes back to when Martin Luther King was in the city of Chicago and uh, pushing for end poverty. And Mayor Daley, the other old Mayor Daley, way before your time, was ignoring him and and, uh, just mocking him and taunting him and then all of a sudden martin luther king started doing open housing marches in all white neighborhoods people started freaking out they were throwing rocks at him suddenly daily's looking at unbelievable breakdown of social order and white people are saying we're going to vote republican if you don't get this out of our time suddenly he wants to meet with him and martin luther king like didn't give up on his principles and ideals because it was challenging and he he stuck stood to the he stood to them and i feel like the Democratic Party should figure out what what do you believe in and stand for it. I I think that only, this is me personally, I think that's the right thing to do. And politically, look, look at your life, man. Think, I don't know how old you are, but I'm just guessing that you probably came of age in the 90s, all right? So think of all the, the years we've lost on the fight for Medicare for all. The Clintons got elected in 1992. We knew this as a people that we needed a, a new healthcare system. We lost, and every time we lost, we retreated. The difference between Republicans, every time they lose, they move, they move the boundaries, they move it to the right, so everybody goes, follows them. Democrats retreat. And so now we had how many Democrats on stage telling Bernie, you can't give it up, it won't happen. It's a losing proposition. We'll lose swing voters. Stop selling pipe dreams. How can you win when you already conceded before the games even started? Yeah, I think 
I don't disagree. Again, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think what I think about is rather than, and then this goes back to Ella Baker. This actually goes back to what Robert Peters was talking about. What does organizing really mean? And if you have a Sanders campaign that positioned a, a real change in the system so that, and, I, and I'm saying this delicately because I realize I'm about to walk into a fire. Um, <laughs> if you take yeah. Medicare off the table mm-hmm. for a second and your primary goal is the change of the system, then you're really talking about someone potentially with a pathway to the White House changing the way we look at civic uh, engagement and civic duty and politics in an organizing way with an organizing lens and changing that. And I mean, ultimately, I think people attach issues to Bernie Sanders, but really what he's talking about, and when I put him in the context of the other leaders that I meet on a daily basis, what everyone's really talking about is changing, not the system, but changing the way things are done, because that's ultimately how you're going to combat what you were saying, this retreat and this back and forth, This re- that organizing is a tool and people need to be educated on organizing. So in some ways, I think even the people who support Bernie Sanders see him as a figurehead. But what he's what he and I think other supporters are trying to say is, no, that's not the point. The point is when you're truly organizing, this is what it means. And that's a hard, that's a complex, hard thing to transmit and get across and funnel into presidential campaign. Do I think it's worthy? Absolutely. And do I meet people who try to do that? Yes. Um, what does that look like translated? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, and I'm not, I'm not taking a position on this. I'm saying this is what I hear from leaders who are doing the work that how do you change people's practice? Not the content, not like Yes, we, yes, people deep down are like, yeah, of course we need healthcare. You know, of course I'm not going to watch my partner, you know, pass away. I, for me, I'm 46, two time cancer survivor. Healthcare is at, you know, one of the top list things of my list. Um, but I also want to know what it means to change the practice and how that's becoming part of a leadership conversation. All right, very good. Halesh Patel from the Field Foundation. We're going to take a break. We'll come right back and I'll ask him the socialism questions. We'll close <laughs> it with that. We'll be right back. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. 
The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater. Open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Kalish Patel in the studio from the Field Foundation. We're talking about his program, the Field Foundation program, I should say, New Chicago Leadership. Uh, we'll close with a question about that. But I, as many times, I give my guests homework assignments. And poor Halesh got a homework assignment. There's an essay, by the way, at the end of the day that you have to turn in. Uh, you can, you, I'm on you're, it. You're, uh, you're <laughs> But it's just, this has been on my mind. It's the theme of the day, so I might as well uh, get some kind of comment from you on it. The notion uh, that uh, suddenly there's, uh, there's, a, there's a crisis we're facing with the coronavirus, and uh, everybody's got these socialistic uh, programs that they're throwing out there. Even Donald John Trump is sort of talking about paid leave for all. I actually don't believe we'll come through on it. Uh, so it's just interesting. It gets at the heart of what we were just talking about. You know, Bernie's been pushing these programs and people saying you're unrealistic, uh, you're going to lose swing voters. Suddenly there's a crisis. Everyone is a socialist. There's got to be a part of you that smiles uh, at the just for me, it's painful irony of all this. Which when when you read that, there was an essay in The New York Times on this subject. What's your general thoughts about this? Well, it made perfect sense. I think people respond to crises and to pandemics and and what have you in that in that way they're like well this is the moment where we do need that and then when that's done if it is done then they'll swing back to where they were and that's you know that's you probably you said you've witnessed this before so that's politics you know it's the it's this pendulum and it's unfortunate but you know i i was trying you gave me the homework assignment and i was trying to think of um examples you know like is this how when people go to airports, they behave badly or, you know, are when do you see the best of people? When do you see the worst of people? And I know you're asking about socialism, but for me, it kept, I kept thinking, when do you see the best of people? And when do you see the worst people when they react to a crisis? And how does that translate into how they want to take care of each other? Because when you mentioned socialism, this idea of collective action, taking care of each other, um, that everyone's talking about but is that what they're really talking about right now or are they just worried they're not really talking about socialism they're not really talking about collective action or um collective you know anything they're just talking about reacting to a problem that will affect more people than they thought it would i'll be a little more specific i agree with what you're saying in the general a little more when it it's a problem that affects you it's socialism. When it's a problem that affects me, it's compassion. It's what we have to do as a collective unity to protect America. So when it's you, ah, who cares? When it's me, I care. And I think it's a lot of me's, new me's, because I, I know what you're saying, like people say this, Ben, the, it's a crisis, crisis will pass. I go, well, for a lot of people, life is an ongoing crisis. It hasn't passed. It never passes. I mean, in, in, in my beloved city of Chicago, there's been carnage 
since I moved. People killing each other, people living in poverty, you know. Well, that's not a crisis because it doesn't affect me. But now it's suddenly a crisis because it affects me. That's why it's so easy to be cynical and jaded and why I have to drink so much to get through the day. Okay, he's not drinking liquor, guys. It's just a delicious We don't know what's in that cup. I do. We really don't know what's in that cup. No, uh, but you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I was playing the safe line there and we're not talking, you know, I wasn't talking about redlining or segregation in Chicago, which is, you know, people have perfected that to an art on how to attack specific neighborhoods through policy, through structure, and through, you know, there, uh, there was a great essay about India um, post, after the British left, about how, why they were so successful. And across the board um, in this article, they said it was all about tone, that you could subjugate a nation and come in and you have the guns, you have the manpower, whatever, but if you could get them, if you could get the right tone and establish that, then you had the whole country. And I think about the people who are operating, you know, let's say Chicago, and doing, and for years, going obviously back to 1919, but even before, doing all these practices that affected specific groups of people. And it was about achieving a tone. You know, it's white supremacy is, you know, focused on two main things. A, you don't know your place, so you better know your place. And two, you don't belong here. And that's, you know, you can, you can pull that into the conversation you're having right now, I think, but I'm still not going to say socialism. All right, very good. We'll leave it there. Halesh Patel from the Field Foundation. If folks want to apply uh, for new Chicago leadership, uh, what do they have to know? What do they have to do? Well, um, we, are, we closed the portal, but we're going to open the portal in February of 2021 for the third year of the program. And just a real quick few notes. One, we have fantastic leadership at the Field Foundation at MacArthur who are supporting this, Angelique Power and John over at MacArthur. And in 2021, we'll open this third portal. This year, we tried something new. We had eight of last year's leaders become the selection committee. And so they're the ones who are going to be looking at the, the next batch of leaders. And I think it was a real credit to both organizations that they're really thinking about how leadership is being defined and recommended to um, the Field Foundation board on who the next group of leaders. So January, the announcement will come. February, the portal will open. And just keep an eye out for uh, probably June this year when the next group of leaders will be announced. And it's going to be it's going to be a really good group. I am truly confident. All right. Very good. We'll have to have you back to talk about the leaders uh, when they are announced. And we'll probably be uh, getting ready for a Democratic convention then. So uh, We'll be really moving into the presidential race. Halesh Patel, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate thank you. it. We'll see what's in your mug when that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, that delicious. It will always be water. Delicious. Sometimes or water. not liquor. I <laughs> uh, also want to thank Monroe Anderson and Robert Peters. That was a, a blast uh, listening to them debate. Uh, and Miles Porter, the man, myth, legend, doing a great job at the pride and joy of Evanston High School. And of course... Ooh, I love this song. Man, it makes it all happen. Pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Halesh Patel will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times. 
uh, and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Join that YouTube channel and you can join the Benny J live stream chat. Join Jeff, Johnny Joe, Jay Marie, and other people whose name doesn't start with the letter J, like Stephen, KMA Barry, and Doug. Join the live stream chat. It's always a fantastic time. We'll see you tomorrow. No one calls me White Lightning. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Correct.